light when it's burning low Only miss the sun when it starts to snow Only know you love her when you let her go Only know you've been high when you're feeling low Only hate the road when you're missing home Only know you love her when you let her go And you let her go Interesting, interesting lyrics. Only know you love him when you let him go. As you know, God is love, and his word is the Prince of Peace, and our Hollywood movies are just laced with violence and, and suffering. And so I've formulated a, a petition for the production of better movies. Make better movies, and I even have some, some suggestions on the petition, like instead of the dark night, how about the joy of Batman? The joy of Batman, which focuses on Bruce Wayne's effort to sponsor a showing of wholesome Thomas Kincaid paintings at the Gotham Art Museum, for instance. Or how about Thor the Carpenter? Instead of tearing things down with a hammer, how about building some things up? You know, we've been so subjected to this endless stream of Rocky movies in which grown men pummel each other. How about this? Rocky retires and offers free yoga classes in a non-judgmental and inclusive atmosphere. Now, wouldn't you like to see one of those movies this summer? So if you want to, sign this petition after the service. You can, you can come talk to me. Um, let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to preach your word in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Spirit, amen. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, with wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Well, Revelation chapter 6 makes our Hollywood movies look pretty mild, don't you think? So how do you feel? I mean, hopefully that kind of raises some, some questions, like what happened to Jesus? Why would Jesus do that? Or, or maybe does he even love us? Most, most folks say, well, of course he loves us. So this isn't about us. We're good. And this is God's judgment on those that are bad. This is the great tribulation. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warned about a time of great tribulation. And then in verse 24, he says this, This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I think if you read Matthew 24 carefully, you'll find that everything that Jesus described before verse 24 happened just like he said it would. And it culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. But then, after verse 24, Jesus says, says this. He says, Of that day and that hour, no one knows. I think that day and that hour is the end of all things. Well, many people have said that the Revelation, chapter 6, and most of the Revelation, describes the 40 years after Jesus' death and the destruction of the temple which was the end of the Old Covenant age or the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. Folks that believe that are called preterists, and I think they're right. The Revelation is about that. It's about the 40 years leading up to the destruction of the temple, but not only that. Jesus promised tribulation for everyone. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And John writes, blessed are those that hear the words of this prophecy. I think that's us. We hear the words of the prophecy and we're blessed. So it's not just about folks living before 70 AD. It's about each one of us living in 2018. Well, some say that the revelation is only about the past. And others say that the revelation is only about the future. In the 19th century, in England, a fellow named John Darby used the work of this obscure Jesuit priest to argue that the prophecies of Daniel 9 and Matthew 24 had been postponed by like 2,000 years. And he formulated a previously unheard of doctrine called the pre-tribulation rapture. The doctrine was popularized in America by a rather questionable figure named Cyrus I. Schofield, who published the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909. His end-time scenario took America by force in the last century, uh, took America by storm, such that people can now write uh, books like the Left Behind series, and most Americans think that this is the stuff that Christians have believed all along when no one even heard of it 150 years ago. The doctrine has proved to be incredibly effective, an effective tool for evangelists trying people to get people to come forward at meetings. However, I don't think it's proved to be so effective for getting people to trust Jesus, the, the Lamb on the throne. So in the 20th century, pastors would read Revelation chapter 6 and preach about the approaching hoofbeats of the four men 
four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then they could say, say this. This is God's judgment against a disobedient creation. And it could be God's judgment against you unless you raise your hand and come forward by the end of the meeting, in which case you will be raptured before the great tribulation, which means you'll be saved from the judgment of God in the future by your own good judgment now. You'll be saved from the judgment of God because you won't be around when the Lamb of God turns into the Lion of Judah. You will not like Jesus when he's angry. Jesus smashed. See, with our end times theology and our, our lust for growing institutions, we've painted a really weird picture of the Savior. But, but now you may say, fine, Peter, but look at what you just read. Look at what we just read. Everyone runs screaming, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Everyone runs hiding us from, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And that's right, but, but did you notice... In the text, the, the lamb hasn't turned into a lion. He's still a lamb. They're, they're running from the lamb, not the lion. So sorry to do this to you, but to the world, we modern American Christians, we must sound just like Tim the Enchanter in the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Remember, remember this? Behold the cave of Carpano. There is. Where? There. What, behind the rabbit? It is the rabbit. You silly sod. What? You guys all worked up. Well, that's no ordinary rabbit. Oh. That's the most foul, cruel, and bad-tempered rodent you ever set eyes on. You tit. I saw my arm and I was so scared. Look, that rabbit's got a vicious street a mile wide. It's a killer. Get stuck. It'll do you a treat, mate. Oh, you yeah? manky Scots git. I'm warning you. What's he do? Nibble your bum? He's got huge, sharp... He can leap about... Look at the bones. Go on, boys. Chop his head off. Right, silly little beater. One rabbit suit coming right up. Jesus Christ, I warned you. <laughs> Is that evangelism? Is that the gospel? Jesus looks like a lamb, but he bites like a lion, so you better join our group. You see, something's not quite right with the way that we've been preaching the good news. And yet it is Jesus that opens the seven seals. So, of course, we want to ask, why would Jesus do that? Why would he do that? Well, maybe because John asked him to do that. Remember? It's what we've been preaching on the last several weeks. After the letter to the angels of the seven churches and the call to conquer, Jesus calls to John saying, come up here. And John sees the throne of God, which is the judgment seat of God. And someone is sitting on the throne and in his strong right arm, he's holding something like this, a seven sealed scroll, sealed with seven seals like the seven days of creation. It's the cosmos. Remember we preached about this. Jesus even said, in this cosmos, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have conquered the cosmos. Ancients divided the cosmos into six or seven ages, or ions in Greek, seven eons, which Genesis refers to as seven yoms, translated seven days. So the seal scroll is like the seven ions of creation in the strong right hand of God, who is Ionios, not part of the Ions, but eternal. John has been outcarnated into eternity, where he sees all of creation in the strong right hand of God, and yet he doesn't know what any of it means. The scroll is creation, and the scroll is the judgment of God. You know, creation is the judgment of God. 
Judgment simply means decision. God decides, God speaks a word, and creation happens. And on the seventh day, absolutely everything is good and everyone worships. And yet when John looks at the scroll, it's sealed. Why does Jesus open the scroll? Maybe because John asked him to open the scroll. Maybe we all ask him to open the scroll. Maybe Eve and that first Adam asked him to open the scroll. They wanted what? The knowledge of good and evil. That sounds like a judgment. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil, and now in this world, what are we coming to know? Evil. And perhaps we'll also come to know or be known by the good. The light shines in the darkness, wrote John. We look for the way when, when we know we're lost. We look for the truth when, when we've been assaulted by lies. We learn to love the life when, when we discover that, well, we're just as good as dead and God told them, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And St. Paul writes, you are dead or you were dead in your trespasses and, and your sins. Well, the way, the truth, and the life, they shine in death, lies, and darkness. We look to the light in the darkness. We come to know the Savior when we know that we need saving. Well, anyway, John, John weeps. And Jesus opens the scroll. Remember, this is what we preached on. Jesus opens the scroll as every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praises him, the one on the throne. Incredible, incredible picture. The first four seals release four horsemen. Seven is the number of creation. Four is often the number of this, this world. Uh, four seasons, four directions, four winds. The four horsemen are not unfamiliar to us. Zechariah saw four horsemen in, in Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6. They patrol the earth. Well, well what John sees, that the first horseman is crowned and seated on a, on a white horse. He rides out conquering and to conquer, but it doesn't specify what kind of conquering we talk about. And so some have argued that this is a picture of Christ. For after all, he is the light and the word that God sends first into the void which creates all things. But because this horseman is part of the four horsemen, others have argued that he's not the Christ, but the imitation Christ, the antichrist, not the truth, but the lie, and that makes some sense. For all earthly conquerors advertise themselves as what? The Savior. In one form or another. In fact, maybe each one of us does the very same thing. The second writer takes peace from the earth. He is chaos. But now let me ask you this question. Is God's judgment chaos? Or logos? Is God's judgment truth or lies? The third writer brings famine. A quart of wheat was considered to be sustenance uh, for, for a day, and a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So there's enough, but only if no one hoards it. <laughs> refusing to share, refusing to love. Ask yourself, is selfishness God's judgment? Or is love? The fourth writer is death, followed by Hades. Hades is where people hide. Is darkness God's judgment? Was it God's judgment that made Adam and Eve hide in the garden? Or was it fear of God's judgment that made Adam and Eve hide in the garden? Is God's judgment darkness or light? Is God's judgment death or life. The four horsemen are deception, warfare, poverty, and death. Jesus releases these things, but he is not these things. Modern Americans seem to be so incredibly afraid of these things. I mean, we're terrified, aren't we, that these horsemen will one day come riding into our town, our village. But you know, I think most people for most of time would probably say, well, I've seen the horsemen. Well, they rode into my village last week. Who hasn't seen deception, warfare, poverty, and death? 
You know, if they're just a threat for the future, they fill us with terror. But if this is a description of what we experience now every night on the news, well, it just might fill us with something else. At the opening of the fifth seal, John sees martyrs under the altar where the priest threw the blood of sacrifice. These witnesses have been slaughtered like lambs on the altar in the temple. Matthew 23, listen closely. Uh, Right before Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple, he says this to the scribes and Pharisees. I send you prophets, I send you prophets whom you kill and crucify so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from Abel to Zechariah who you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. These, these martyrs are, are already literally under the altar it would seem. And then Matthew 27 as Jesus yields up his spirit there's this great earthquake, tombs are open and the bodies of the saints rise from the dead and walk among the people in Jerusalem. You see I think these martyr witnesses are at least those that had died for the word of God before the word of God yielded up his life on the tree. Whatever the case, they cry out, How long, O Lord? Which means they must not have read the Left Behind series. Right? Or had access to one of those end times charts. Or maybe that's all a bunch of hooey. But anyway, they cry out, How long before you will judge? How long before you will judge? Which, which means the horsemen must not be the judgment. I mean, if they ask how long until you judge, then what has happened must not be the judgment. Or they don't yet know the meaning of, of the judgment. Take a look at this, at this scroll. Anyone in John's day would know that if a judge were seating on a sitting on a judgment seat, holding a sealed scroll in his hand, opening the seals would not be the judgment. (laughs) Because the judgment would be like the words in, in the scroll, right? The word in the scroll. Opening the seals would not be the judgment. Opening the seals would be a necessary step in order to reveal the judgment. And if it was a seven sealed scroll, and you got like six of the seals open, you might begin to see the judgment, but you probably wouldn't yet be able to understand its meaning. The martyrs cry out, how long until you judge? And how long until you avenge? That's this fascinating Greek word, a Greek verb, ek, ek, dikeo. Ek means out, and dikeo means make right. And so ekdikeo literally means something like how long until you bring out righteousness. We, we usually translate it with the English word vengeance. Scripture makes it clear that vengeance belongs to God. In the New Testament, Paul quotes that verse, and then in Romans 12, he adds this. So be kind to your enemy, and do not uh, uh, return evil for evil. Be kind to your enemy, and in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We don't understand God's vengeance or God's judgment. In John's gospel, Jesus says this, John chapter 3, this is the judgment. There's one judgment. He said the judgment. This is the judgment, one judgment, just as there's one word, which means every judgment, every judgment seen in Scripture is somehow the same judgment described from a different angle. This is the judgment, the light, and physicists tell you light is eternal, right? The light has come into the world, into temporality. This is the judgment, the light has come into the world. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is eternal judgment. He is the light, the word, the way, the truth, and the life. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen, and now I'll translate literally, that his works have been done by God. At the sixth seal, behold, there's this great earthquake. The sun's light fails, the full moon becomes like blood. 
you know, on the sixth day of creation, on the sixth day of the week, at the sixth hour of the day, Jesus is crucified on a tree in a garden on Mount Calvary. The Gospels record that there is this great earthquake. The sun's light fails. And according to Peter in Acts chapter 2, and according to modern astronomies, the, the moon, the moon rose uh, in full eclipse, blood red, that evening. As we preach, Jesus is the faithful witness. So Revelation says, and the faithful witness is the moon. On Good Friday, John saw the faithful witness rise from the earth blood red. John saw the judgment of God, and he wept, for he did not know what it meant. Now you might say, okay, fine, that's neat, but I want to know about final judgment. I don't want to know about the end. Jesus said, I am the end. And on the tree, he said, it is finished on the cross, on, on the tree. And yet in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus describes the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, he paints the very same picture. Sun and moon will go dark. The stars will fall from the sky. And please note in the Revelation, the stars fall from the sky several times. Sun, moon, and stars. And then he says this, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And then verse 34, this will happen in your lifetime. Matthew 27, 64, at his trial, Jesus says this, From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Understand? Since his crucifixion, Jesus, who is the end, has been coming all the time. Remember Flatland, when we talked about Flatland, this all needs to come together for you. Remember when we talked about Flatland, and we talked about how we live on this timeline in Flatland, but, but, but God is eternal, and how uh, Jesus could say to the people of Flatland, Behold, I come! And, and he'd come to Flatland. It would be one event in eternity, and yet a gazillion, billion, zillion, whatever, events in space and time. One event and yet experienced at all these different times in eternity. And well, that line kind of reminds me like this. Behold, I come. And one event in eternity would be all these different experiences in space and time. Or maybe he could say this. Behold, I come. And come like at the sixth seal to the seventh seal. But one event would, uh, would be experienced in all these different ways. So on Good Friday, he descended into Hades. Old Testament saints, martyrs, saw him. Tombs were open and they came out, like around 33 A.D. In 70 A.D., he came to the Jews in Jerusalem who didn't receive him 40 years before. The sun and moon went black, the stars fell, and they saw him as he is. The day you die, you will see him coming on the clouds of heaven. It's all one event. Experience at a gazillion, bazillion different points in space and time. It's so important that you come to know who he is, which is what God means before you see him coming. Or I think you just might run in terror and try to hide yourself in the very depths of space and time. Understand? At the cross, God's eternal judgment invaded time. It's the end, and it's the beginning. Jesus was crucified at the end of the sixth day and raised on the eighth day, which in Hebrew thought is an eternal seventh day, an endless Sabbath that is the end. In Genesis 1, at the end of the sixth day of creation, which is the beginning of the seventh day of creation, quote, everything is very good. Everything. 
And that is exactly what John saw before Jesus began to open the scroll. The end is the beginning. And we are surrounded by the judgment, which is everything filled with the good, the good that is God. God's judgment is everything good. And God's judgment is how God makes everything good. God's judgment is his word, and his word is Jesus. God's judgment is good, and God's judgment is life. I know that his commandment is eternal life, said Jesus. God's judgment is creation, salvation, and absolute grace. And now listen very closely, because I think I'm about to expose a lie from the very pit of hell. Ready? Jesus did not save us from God's judgment. Jesus is God's judgment, who saves us from our own judgment. What the Bible refers to as sin. Our judgment is to take the life of the good on the tree. Our judgment is deception, warfare, greed, and death. Our judgment is to choose darkness, and so we run from the light eternal. We run from the light to save our judgment, which is our ego, which becomes a prison of pride and shame in which each one of us hides. We hide like Eve and Adam hid from the judgment of God that comes walking in the cool of the day saying, where are you? Where are you? At the sixth seal, everyone cries, the great day of their wrath has come. Well, if God is angry, you know what he's angry at? He's angry at the place in which you hide. At the sixth seal, everyone runs from the face of him who is seen seated on the throne. We have seen the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. At the sixth seal, everyone runs from the slaughtered lamb and begs the mountains and the hills to hide them in the depths of the earth. Scripture refers to that place as Hades. English Bibles often translate that word as hell. Hell is trusting nothing but your own judgment. God hates hell! So Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, he destroys it with holy fire. That's God's judgment. Sorry, I get excited about that. (laughs) Chapter six ends with this question. Who can stand? In the next chapter we find out it's people that have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. It's people that cry out salvation belongs to our God. It's people that have confessed their judgment, which is sin, and trusted God's judgment, which is grace. It's people that have come through the great tribulation. It's people that have died to their own ego and begun to live to the glory of God. It's people uh, that have joined the eternal symphony around the throne as all creation worships God for his judgment is good. They know the good. Jesus is the good, even hanging on a tree. They know the good, but only because the good knew them in this world that is evil, because the light shines in the darkness. God's judgment is not darkness, lies, chaos, greed, and death, but maybe darkness, lies, chaos, greed, and death reveal the glory of the light, who is the truth, who is the logos, who is uh, love, and who is the life, our Savior, who is the judgment of of God. Chapter eight, in chapter eight of the Revelation, the Lamb opens the seventh and final seal. Seven angels begin to blow seven trumpets. I think that means that the end is proclaimed through all of space and time. The judgment, final judgment, uh, ultimate, the only judgment is proclaimed through space and time. It's hope. And it's why people hope. Why do people hope? because they hear the trumpets. This may not have occurred to you, but the entire time that John is watching Jesus open the scrolls, all of heaven is singing. Revelation 4, 8, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. 
Revelation 5.8, the elders have harps and they sing an eternally new song. Revelation 5.13, all creation joins in. The revelation is like this great symphony of logos being sung into chaos until at last the last trumpet sounds and the heaven, the heaven that John saw in the beginning, it descends to earth as the end. But the entire time, the entire time, even in moments of silence, there is an eternal symphony of praise, a soundtrack, if you will, from the beginning to the end of space and time. I remember sitting in a movie theater as a young man watching incredible violence on the movie screen. It really disturbed me. In fact, it scared me. There was a man on the screen with dark hair and dark eyes. He looked as if he were of Mediterranean descent. He was covered in blood, near naked. An angry mob, thirsty for violence, cheered as he was beaten beyond recognition. He was one, as, uh, one from whom men hide their faces. In his pain, in his pain, he cried out for his beloved, Adrian! And just when I thought chaos, death, and destruction had won, just when I thought he was dead for sure, I heard trumpets. I heard this. Okay, you got the idea. You can bring it down. I heard the soundtrack. I heard the theme song to the movie Rocky. And when I heard those trumpets, it changed things. You see, when you hear the theme song, it tells you something. What does it tell you? It tells you this is a story. There is an author. All the suffering serves a purpose. All the suffering is worth suffering for it reveals the beauty of the plot. And once you know the plot, well, it transforms the meaning of all the suffering. In other words, the theme song tells you, you are about to receive a revelation of glory. The glory of Rocky Balboa. The theme song tells you, it's about to get good. It's glory time. It's about to get good. But you couldn't even recognize the good unless you had first encountered the bad. Without Apollo Creed, we would have never seen the glory of Rocky Balboa. Without the Joker, we would never know Batman. We'd only know Bruce Wayne, and he's boring. Without evil infecting the cosmos, we'd never sing the praise of Thor and his glorious hammer. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. See, without the fall, we could never be saved. And then we wouldn't know the Savior, at least not in the way that he wants to be known. Without the cross, we'd never know Easter. Without the horsemen, we'd never know the meaning of the scroll. Romans 8, God subjected creation to futility in hope. Romans 11, God consigned all men to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on all. That's his judgment. <laughs> and that's the song, the new and eternal song. But without tribulation, we'd never learn the song. Our hearts know this. That's why we go to movies. We just don't have the stomach for it in real life. So what do we do? We become voyeurs of other people's suffering in movies and scripture, and theology. But voyeurs of suffering can only be voyeurs of glory. And Jesus the rock, he wants to share with you, his bride, his glory. You were born into this fallen world to see the judgment of God. Learn to trust the judgment of God. Fall in love with the judgment of God and become the very body of the judgment of God such that his judgment and your judgment would be the very same judgment. Not because they have to be, but because you want them to be. It's your judgment. You know, after a great movie, you don't have to try to change, right? You just do change. After watching Rocky, I just go around punching stuff. Not because I have to, I, I want to. 
And after watching Jesus, I begin to love in freedom. Love in freedom, that means you love because you want to love. Well, you see, he isn't calling you to just watch his movie. You are his movie. At the third seal, there's a famine, and a voice says, a quart of wheat for a denarius, but do not harm oil and wine. Did you notice that? The voice comes from the middle of the four living creatures, so this must be the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Lamb. The only other place oil and lamb, oil and wine appears as a phrase in the New Testament is in this, the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, he pours oil and wine upon a, a, a wounded Jew that must have hated him. Read this story carefully and you realize that the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And he wants us to be Good Samaritans too. Actually, his body. The voice says there will be a famine, but I will always provide the equipment for love. My spirit, my blood for my body. Some think our job is to eliminate all suffering, but we're here to learn love and then live love in the midst of suffering. Love is the judgment of God. Our job then is not to eliminate crosses. It's to learn to carry them. No one ever suffered as much as Jesus suffered when he carried, when he bore the sins and sorrows of this world on the tree, when he bore my sins and sorrows on the tree. The slaughtered lamb, you see, reveals the meaning of history, and he reveals the meaning of my history and your history, and history and my history and your history reveal the glory of the slaughtered lamb. He suffers your history and makes, his, and makes your history his story on the tree, and his story your history. He suffers your darkness and reveals the light in your darkness. He suffers your chaos and fills it with logos. He is the logos. He suffers your evil and reveals the good. He suffers your sin and gives you himself he is grace. He suffers your judgment and gives you God's judgment such that when you finally believe it, you'll no longer try to be good. You just will be good. You'll sing because you want to sing. You want to sing the song more than anything in all of this world. I'm saying that at the cross, you learn the soundtrack to the end of the world and your particular part in the symphony of an ending glory that is eternal life. You know, John had been at the cross, and he wept, for he did not know what it meant. Jesus appeared to John and said, come up here, John. Listen to the soundtrack. It changes things. come to worship in the midst of tribulation in order to listen to the, the soundtrack, find courage, and begin to sing along. And yet, that didn't feel quite right, did it? Something was wrong with that. I mean, that wasn't really the right theme song. What I mean is that Rocky Balboa, if you saw the movie, was like a lion, or he was like a lamb that would all of a sudden turn into a lion when the theme song started and then just pummel his enemies to a bloody, bloody mass. That's how he conquered. That's the story that we like to tell. He was like the rabbit in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
But in Revelation 6, they don't run from the judgment of God because the lamb has turned into a lion. They run from the judgment of God because the lion is a slaughtered lamb. Is that incredible? They run from the slaughtered lamb. They run from the lamb. He's slaughtered. The lamb's not chasing them. They don't run from the horsemen. They don't run from warfare, greed, death, and hell. They're not terrified of them. They are very familiar with them. Why? Well, because that's our judgment. They run from the Prince of Peace, who is love and life and light. He's God's judgment. They run from the slaughtered lamb, and they hide in hell. Not because God's judgment is evil, but because God's judgment is absolutely good. They run from the slaughtered lamb. Who do you suppose slaughtered the lamb? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we did. Verse 15, everyone, slave and free, run from the lamb. We run because he is categorically different. In biblical terminology, He is holy. So Rocky isn't the right theme song, but maybe something like this is. I think if we truly saw him as he is without protection, we'd just drop like flies or go up in a puff of smoke. For suddenly we would see that although we've always tried to be first, the first are last and the last are first. That although we've always tried to exalt ourselves, the humble are exalted and the exalted are humble. Although we've always tried to save our lives, we must lose our lives in order to find them. We'll see that with every bad choice, we crucified the good. And every good choice in us us was actually him. We'll see that whenever we think this is my life, we take his life because he is the life. He's the good and he is the life hanging on the tree in the garden. We'll see our sin. Our sin is our judgment. And unless we've learned to trust God's judgment, we'll run. We'll see that we've always crucified the good and taken his life. And unless we trust that he's always given his life, and that's the good, we'll call to the mountains and the hills saying, cover us and hide us in darkness. We will all see God's judgment. But unless we've learned what he means, I think we'll try to hide in hell. God's judgment is Jesus. And it means this. I created you. I save you. I redeem you. I love you. Because I am love. Salvation is agreeing with the judgment of God. Not running from the judgment of God. 
The good news is that although Revelation 6.15, every person hides from the judgment of God, and although Revelation 19.18, every person will be cut by the judgment of God and have their flesh consumed according to the judgment of God, Revelation 5.13, every person will worship the judgment of God standing on the throne, for this is the judgment of God spoken from the throne. Revelation 21, verse 5, Behold, look, I make all things new. Like I said, the judgment of God is creation, salvation, and eternal life. But wouldn't it be best if you came to fall in love with God's judgment right here, right now? Listen closely. Within one generation, within your lifetime, the sun will fail. The moon will turn blood red. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavens will roll up like a scroll. Within one generation, you will see the judgment of God coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And yet, you can see him and fall in love with him right now. From the night that he was betrayed by us, he took bread and he broke it, saying, Look, this is my body given to you. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he said, This is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. This is the judgment of God. And now I know Life is really hard, it is. And Jesus knows that life is really hard. Well, don't run, don't hide. Come to the judgment, walk into the judgment, listen to the music. What does all this trauma mean? It's time for the revelation of glory. All I'm saying is, believe the gospel, amen. So listen closely, children of God. Fear does not save you. Love saves you from fear. God is love. And another word for fear is faithlessness. So in the name of God, in the power of His Spirit, through the authority of His shed blood, no more fear, faith. In other words, believe the gospel. <laughs> Everything I said today is just that. Believe the gospel. In a word, Jesus. You know what the name means? <clears throat> God is salvation. Yeah, that's good news. Believe it. Amen.